Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. Well, last week we started out this series asking a question, uh, what would Jesus undo? And Many of you probably have bracelets and uh, shirts that are tucked away somewhere that you haven't seen in years that, that have the WWJD on it. And for this series, we wanted to ask a related question, and that was, what would Jesus undo? That if he, if he had looked at what we have evolved into, what the Christian church, the movement that he started 2,000 years ago, if he could see what it was today, what are the things that he would look at and that would just turn his stomach? The things that he would look at and say, boy, I wish I could get rid of that the things that he would look at and say, man, I wish I could just undo that. And so last week we started off by asking the question, what would Jesus undo? And I told the story about a gift that I had handmade and, and things didn't go so well with that gift. And we said that the, the first thing that, that we think that Jesus would undo is spiritual indifference. And if you, haven't, uh, if you weren't here last week and you haven't uh, watched it, it, it's still online. You can still see the video and the audio is going to be up in a couple of days Um, But today what I want to do is I want to talk about another uh, gift story, another embarrassing gift story. So um, for those of you who um, have been around for a while, one of the things you know is that I love Christmas. Christmas is so nice, I have to celebrate twice. Here at Grace Point, we celebrate Christmas twice a year, in July and in December. And so I just love Christmas. And I remember one year when my children were young. They were like in elementary school and middle school. And I had this great idea. And what I did was I took a box, and it was a pretty good-sized box, and I wrapped the box. And inside that box was another box that was a little bit smaller, and I had wrapped that one. And inside that box was a little bit smaller box all the way down until there was just a tiny little box, and I thought, this is going to be amazing. I mean, my kids are going to go nuts because they're going to open up the box, and there'll be another box and open up the box. And so I set that box out next to the Christmas tree, and when the kids saw it, they, they were just like trying to figure out what in the world could be in that big, huge box. I mean, everything else that was under the tree paled in comparison to this box that was just, I mean, it was... To them, it was probably massive, but it was probably only about this big. It was a good-sized box. So Christmas morning came, and it was time to unwrap the gifts. And the first gift that they want to unwrap is the big box. And I'm like, well, come on, we're not going to do that yet. Just go open your other gifts first, because I wanted to save it for last. So they opened all the other ones, and, and at the time, we were living very close to a bunch of family, uh, which was really a great... Uh, Great opportunity for them growing up that they had so much family living nearby. But with a lot of family and my kids being very young, they were just overwhelmed with a whole bunch of cool gifts, right? I mean, they got everything that they wanted that year, probably more things than they needed. I mean, it was just, it was a good Christmas. And when it was all done and there was wrapping paper strewn all over the floor, the only thing that was left standing was my big box. And I was so excited because this was going to be great. And so they go and they say, okay, it's time to open it. And so they open it up and they take out the thing and, and they don't understand why the box looks like that because I think it was probably like an old uh, microwave oven box, you know, when microwaves were like this big, right? So, so they, oh, they, oh, well, you got to look inside. So they open it up and they pull out another box and it's wrapped too. And they're so excited and they start ripping it open. 
And then open that up, and then there's another box. And so they're going through this thing, and I'm thinking to myself, hey, this is fun. And then I start thinking to myself, you know, maybe I should have put a better gift in there. Because I was thinking that all of the excitement would be in unwrapping the gift. I didn't even think about what was in that box at the very end. And they had already unwrapped all of the good stuff. Which means unless it was absolutely amazing, it was going to be a big letdown. And then they opened another box and another box. And I started to really feel nervous until they got to the very end. And they knew that there couldn't possibly be anything else in that box. And they opened it up. And I don't even remember what it is, but it was nothing really important. I mean, the box might as well have been empty. And, uh, and it was a disappointment because they had so much anticipation and so much excitement and nothing happened. In fact, I, I'm sh- certain that at some point they're going to go into therapy <laughs> and it's all going to come down to this huge disappointment at Christmas when they were children. So the question that, that I, I want to bring that around to is this is that what if Jesus is looking at us and he's looking at the songs that we sing and he's looking at the things that we do, the words that we read, the the acts of service that that we go out into the community to do. And to him, it's just an empty gift. That we're doing all of this and for him it just might as well be an empty box, an empty gift. That the thing on the outside, which I remember spending so much money on gift wrap, that the pretty box on the outside didn't match what was on the inside. And so what if all of the things that we do, all of, all of these things that we, that we those of us who, who call ourselves Christians, all of those things that we engage in as part of our Christianity, shows things to people on the outside, but we're empty on the inside. And so if we ask the question, what would Jesus undo? I think the second thing that he would want to undo is he would want to, us to undo empty worship. Hollow worship. What Jesus would call worship in vain. In fact, there was this occasion where um, Jesus was having a conversation with the religious people. And, and you know, in, the, in Scripture, the religious people, they call them the Pharisees. And so Matthew, who was one of Jesus' disciples, actually records this event. He wrote it down so that years later we could see exactly what happened. And Matthew describes it like this. He says, Then some Pharisees, so these were the, the religious people, and teachers of the law, and back then there was no difference between the religious law and the secular law. There was no difference. It was all one law. So these teachers of the law, these are like law school professors who are there with the religious people. And they came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, and this is what he said, they said, they said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, this kind of seems, I think if you just read it, it it probably seems a little bit silly. It's like, you know, are you my mother that you don't want me to eat unless I go and wash my hands? But that's not what they're talking about here. See, they're not talking about a physical cleanliness. They're not talking about physically washing the dirt off my hands 
so that I don't have any bacteria on my fingers when I'm eating. In this case, what they were talking about was they were talking about a ceremonial cleanliness. A ceremonial cleanliness. And a ceremonial cleanliness was not about whether your hands were free from bacteria or not. This was something completely different. Because, you see, we can understand physical cleanliness, right? We can understand why we want to wash our hands. I am a germaphobe. I don't like when people don't wash their hands or when people walk around with shoes in the house. I mean, it just freaks me out a little bit. Every one of our cars has, has you know, the cup holders in the car. You can only put one drink in because the other cup holder has, a, has a, one of those containers of hand wipes. Because I want everything to be clean all the time. That's not what he's talking about. Back in this, in this time, everything that was centered around the Jewish tradition, the Jewish religion, it could all be classified into one of two things. Everything in the world, in one of two things. It was either clean or it was unclean. And if it was unclean, it was not fit for worship to God. If it was unclean, you had to stay away from it. If it was unclean, it was something that you couldn't even touch. And so everything that, 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 uh, that happened with, with uncleanliness, there was a process that you had to go through to make something clean. And the problem with things being unclean and there were animals that were unclean, and, and there was different types of food that were unclean, and different things that happened to people uh, that made them unclean. The problem with unclean is it's contagious. In other words, it doesn't just stay with you. As soon as you touch somebody or come near somebody, that uncleanliness that you might have had passes on to them. So if you have a, a skin disease, or if you have any type of you know odd Anything comes out of your body that's not supposed to come out of your body, that is unclean. I mean, they had some really, really precise laws about that. If you touched a dead body, you would be unclean. There were animals that you touched, like if you touched a pig or a mouse, that you would be unclean. And because uncleanliness was contagious, it was transferable. So imagine for a moment that it's a, it's a Sunday morning and, and my wife and I, we go out to uh, Millbrae Pancake House to have breakfast because I love Millbrae Pancake House. And so we go and have breakfast and I order an omelet. And so the chef is back there and he's cooking my omelet and he's cooking it right next to some really, really thick cut crispy bacon. Mm. But pork is unclean to the Jews. And so because that bacon is right next to my omelet, my omelet is now unclean. And so the waitress, she picks up the, 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 the plate and her thumb accidentally grazes my omelet and now she's unclean. And she puts the omelet down in front of me and I take a bite out of it and it is really, really good. But because now I've touched the omelet, I'm unclean. And I ordered hash browns, but Terry ordered uh, sourdough toast. So I reach over to her plate and grab a slice of toast and I touch the other piece of toast. And now her whole plate is unclean. And so when she eats her food, she will be unclean. It's a never ending cycle. You go through all of this uncleanliness. And when you are unclean, according to the religious traditions, when you are unclean, there was an entire elaborate ceremony that had to happen in order for you to become clean. It was called the Netilat Yadayim. This was the ceremonial washing. 
the netilat yadayim. And this is what they would do. They would take an amount of water that they called a quarter of a log. Now, a quarter of a log is about one and a half eggshells worth of water. About that much. About a third of a can of soda is how much water that you would, they would need. And then you would take your hands, because the hands is where you are ceremonially unclean, and you would put your hands like this, and they would pour the water over your hands. Now, it was very important that your hands were lower than your elbows, because the water had to run off of your hands and onto the ground. If the water ran off of your hands and then down your arm, your hands are clean, but now your arms are unclean. And your arms are connected to your hands, so it's the whole thing is all over again. So they would pour the water over your hands, and you had to make sure that none of it touched you. And then you would turn your hands upside down, and they would do it again. And that's how you became ceremonially clean. It was a very, very complicated process. Now, the interesting thing about the Jews was, was that for those that were really, really strict observers of the Jewish law, they didn't just wash their hands before they ate. They washed their hands before every course of the meal. Which means they would go to McDonald's, and they would wash their hands before they ate their fries. And then they would wash their hands again before they ate their Big Mac. And finally, they would wash their hands one more time before they had their apple pie. This was exactly what they had to go through at this time and that Jesus was talking about. He was saying, listen, you guys are obsessing over the things that are happening on the outside of your body and you're not even thinking about what's going on inside. You're obsessing over the externals and you're not even thinking about What's going on inside of you? Especially when the outside looks so good and the inside is not at all right. Listen to how how Matthew continues to tell us this is what what happens. He's writing down Jesus' words now and he says, You hypocrites! He's talking to the religious people. You hypocrites! Isaiah, and he's now quoting a prophet from 400 years ago. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They honor me with their lips. On the outside, they honor me. But on the inside, their hearts, they're far from me. And then he says, they worship me in vain. They worship me in vain. That all of that stuff that they're doing on the outside is meaningless. It's all empty. It's hollow. It's in vain. So what would Jesus undo? I think one of the things that he would undo is he would undo hollow, vain, empty worship. And and this is really one of the areas that it has the greatest potential for spiritual growth if you are a Jesus follower, if you are a Christian. This one area of how we act out and live out worship has the potential to completely change your life. 
And the interesting thing about this is, especially over the years, if you have grown up in church or if you have been around church people, one of the things that you probably heard many, many times is when they talk about worship, they're usually talking about music. They talk about the style of music, sometimes more traditional and more calm and somber and or or more contemporary and, and louder and faster. Sometimes they talk about the environment where either it's very quiet and reverent or very loud and celebratory. Sometimes they talk about different songs, the songs that they choose. Older songs tend to be a group of people, they tend to, to go towards the older songs, whereas there's another group that tends to like the newer songs. And so have you ever been in a place where you experienced worship that was completely different from what you expected it to be? I grew up um, in a very, very traditional Christian denomination. And um, when I grew up, when I was growing up, uh, worship was very, well, it was very traditional. I mean, there was a choir sometimes, if enough people were there that day. And, and they wore, you know, long, flowing satin robes. That's what the choir had. And, and, and they, they, they sang songs, but they had books. That, that the words and the music were in the books. They called them hymnals. And inside those books, they would choose songs. They had numbers. And, and, you, would, and you would go through and, and choose a number. And then that's the song you would sing. And we would always sing verse 1, verse 2, and verse 4. For some reason, we always skipped verse 3. Like there was something wrong with verse 3. Everybody would always sing verse 1, verse 2, and verse 4. And then there was a time to stand up. There was a time to sit down. There was a time to kneel. I mean, there was all these things that were going on. And no matter what church you went to within that denomination, every single church did it exactly the same. Now, when I was living in Florida, uh, we got a new pastor at our church. And uh, the new pastor... Uh, brought in a new worship leader. And within a very, very short amount of time, we went from that kind of a traditional, what I had been comfortable with and had grown up with, and everything completely changed. Uh, there were no more hymnals. They had screens up just like these, not quite as big, and they were projected onto them. There was no big fancy TVs yet. Um, and that's where the words would go. And um, there was no more piano and organ. They were replaced by a band with drums and keyboards and some guy on the electric guitar going, nee, 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 nee. I mean, it was great. I, 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 it, was, it was something I'd never seen before. There was still a choir, but the choir didn't have robes. They just all wore black from head to toe. I think it was a diet thing, right? Because if you wear black, you... that was my own personal opinion. I don't know. And for a while, there were even praise dancers who would do interpretive dances as, as, as we were singing. And then there were, there, were, um, there were women, young, as young as maybe seven or eight years old, and old, as old as my mother, because she was one of them. And she had a stick with a ribbon on the end, and they would go walking around like this on the stage with the ribbon while they were singing. And people were singing really loud, and they were swaying back and forth, and they were clapping their hands. And all of a sudden, and I'd never seen this before in this church, people were raising their hands. And I was thinking, wow, look at all these people that have questions. <laughs> okay, hey, I, 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 all of a sudden, it was completely different. So two completely different styles of worship. 
Which one is right? Which is the right way to do it? Well, the answer is both and neither. Because it's not about how you do it. It's about what's inside your heart when you're doing it. You see, worship isn't about the style of music. Worship is about the condition of your heart. Imagine my kids that, that day, that, they, that, that Christmas morning when they saw that gift and they had, they had finished everything else and, and they knew that they had this, this one gift and they knew that it was going to be the greatest. And so they said, Papa, we're, we wrote a song for you to express our love and our adoration for you. And so they got together and they put on bathrobes and made them out to be like choir robes and, and they started to sing this hallelujah kind of a thing. Right? If they did that, do you think that I would go up to them and I'd say, no, no, hold on, hold on a second, hold on. This is not how you can worship me and sing songs of adoration, songs of my greatness and my glory. This is not the way you're supposed to do it. I want to see a full band. There's got to be fog machine. There's got to be lights. You guys got to frost the tips of your hair and gel them up. So, you know, you got to be have a worship leader because that's the only way that I will accept your worship. Would I do that? Would you? Or, or what if they went into the garage and they started getting all of the lawn tools? Because back then we had a lawn and there were tools. I never used any of them, but we had them in the garage. And so what if they started taking out the, the stuff and they were just banging them around as he, and, and singing the song, Papa, we love you. And I said, hold on a second here. You can't worship me like that. You got to take out scripture and read a few verses first. You got to do it quietly and reverently. I mean, if you truly believe that I am your father, then you better worship me with respect. Would I do that? Isn't it that when someone shows us respect, that how it happens, especially with children, how it happens and how they do it is meaningless? Because we know where it's coming from. We know what's in their heart. We know what they're trying to convey. And it is the meaning on the inside that makes the difference. Not what it looks like on the outside. Worship isn't about the style of music. Worship is about the condition of your heart. And so today we're going we're gonna to do something a little bit different. Because I want to talk a little bit about, about worship and how is it that we express our worship. What are the ways that we express worship? And so the first way that we express worship is that we bow. Sometimes we bow in reverence. We bow in reverence. One of the ancient kings of Israel, his name was David. And David had a very interesting relationship with God because David had days that everything with him and God were great. And then there were days where David was just, he couldn't get far enough away from God. But he always came back. And there was this one occasion where he was there and, and he, he just was overwhelmed with everything that was going on in his life. And he says, and he writes this. He says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That sometimes when we think about what God has done or who God is or 
or just what God offers us, that our only response is just to just to want to drop to our knees. I, I was in Pete's this morning, and um, um, uh, Sabrina and I were texting, and we were talking about some of the music that we were going to be using at the uh, at our Thanksgiving worship uh, two three weeks from today, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And she sent me this song that we're going to learn in a couple of weeks. But one of the lines of the song goes like this. It says, God doesn't worry. So why should I worry? And I got to tell you that when I heard them sing that song, this chill just ran over my body. And right there in Pete's, I just wanted to drop to my knees. Man, if God isn't worried about this, why should I worry about this? So how do we express our worship? We express our worship by by dropping and bowing to our knees. But sometimes we express our worship by lifting our hands in adoration. We lift our hands. And and this is not a weird thing. It's a Bible thing. In In the part of Scripture that we call the Old Testament, it talks about lifting our hands. In the part of Scripture that's called the New Testament, it talks about lifting our hands. David said, the same David that wrote, Uh, that he would bow down to worship. He says, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Now, this should be easy for us. Because in the culture we live in today, lifting your hands has two very distinct meanings. We lift our hands as a sign of surrender. We lift our hands to say, I can't do it anymore. I'm not going to fight it. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I surrender. But we also lift our hands in victory. The Niners are 8-0, baby. We lift our hands in victory. And the beauty of what David is saying, when he was writing this, when he was writing about lifting our hands, what he was saying is, listen, you're going to experience surrender and victory at the exact same time. That that moment that you surrender is the moment that you receive your victory. And sometimes, sometimes how we worship, how we express our worship, we dance in celebration. Now, I know for some of you this might be a little bit weird, but it is hard for me to contain myself up here sometimes when the music is good and I just want to start rocking left and right. But this is what we do. When things are good, we celebrate, right? We celebrate when there's a touchdown. I mean, if you're, if you're on the field and there's a touchdown, you're slapping people on the butt that you shouldn't be slapping on the butt. And when you're watching it on the, in the stands or you're watching it in, in a sports bar somewhere and they score a touchdown, you're walking around chest bumping people you've never met in your life. Because we celebrate the good things. And we celebrate them. We just want to dance. Listen to what David says. He says, let them praise him with dancing. In another place, he said that God takes our weeping and he turns it into dancing. How do we express our worship? We express our worship with dancing. And sometimes we express our worship with a sacrifice of praise. Paul wrote this, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this to the, in, in, um, to the church in Jerusalem, to the Hebrews. He wrote this, he said, through Jesus, 
Therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Now, let's not, let's not let, get stuck on that word sacrifice. Because sacrifice doesn't mean money. It can, but it doesn't mean money. You see, when we offer a sacrifice of praise, what he's saying is, is that is when we offer praise even when it's hard for us. That when things are good, we praise God, but man, when things are bad, we still offer our praise to God. We worship Him when we are full of joy. And we worship Him in our deepest sorrows. We worship Him when everything is going right. And we worship Him when we're faced with something that we just don't understand how it could ever go right again. We worship Him despite the way that we feel. And when we're surrounded by family and friends during the holidays and everything seems just perfect, we worship Him. And in those moments when we are at our darkest, when we feel completely abandoned and we feel all alone, we offer a sacrifice. Because I don't feel it. We offer a sacrifice because it doesn't feel good to do it. But we offer a sacrifice of praise. How do we express our worship? With a sacrifice of praise. Because our worship isn't based on our circumstances. It is based on who God is. You see, when we talk about worship, what what we need to, to, to get past is we need to get past music. Because the music is part of it. And we need to get past being in church. But church is part of it. But our worship is not in the things that we do. Our worship is in the life that we live. The life that we live. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He said, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that God has done, in view of the fact that God never asks you to meet a standard, all He says is turn and come to me. In light of that, He says, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true and proper worship. When things are good, when things are bad, I'm going to worship. When I have too much money and don't know what to do with it, like that happens all the time. Or when I'm having a hard time making ends meet, I'm going to worship When I'm suffering and I'm in pain, or when I am standing in the victory of his healing, I'm going to worship. Because worship isn't just the songs that we sing. Worship is about the life that we live. And it doesn't mean that we have to live a life of perfection. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything is going to completely change and we're going to always make the right decisions. We're never going to go to those places that we are, know we're not supposed to go. It doesn't mean we're going to immediately give up the habits that we've been trying to break. That's not what it means. What it means is, is that we make a decision to place our faith and trust in God. Knowing that he accepts us where we are, but he doesn't leave us 
where we are. This is the invitation that he gives to us. And this is recorded in the Old Testament in one of the books called the Chronicles. It's basically a story of of things that happened to, to God's people. And this is what it says. It says, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. But it's not enough. He says, tell all the nations that the Lord reigns. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel who lives from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people shouted, Amen. And they praised the Lord. Worship isn't about one thing. It is about the entire life that we live. And it's about making the decision to let God be in charge. To let him be in charge. Today we're going to learn a new song. And um, I've asked Sabrina to to play it and, and lead us through it. And I just, you know, I, I, I want to tell you that I've been listening to this song forever. I just heard it this morning and I fell in love with it. And it's a song and it's called Open Space. And it fits so perfectly in with what we're talking about that we completely changed how this thing was going to end just so that we could sing this song together. Because in this song, it talks about making our hearts an open space. Making our hearts empty. And giving God a chance to have his way in us. And what all of us have. Whether you are, are, are here today and you've been a Christian all your life. And maybe there are some of you here today who aren't Christians. You might be watching us online and you're not a Christian. And you're thinking to yourself, listen, you know, I knew that there was a reason why. And, and, and what we've talked about here is the reason why so many of you who are not Christians have stayed away from churches. And have stayed away from God. Because what was on the outside did not match what was on the inside. And you said, if that's what those people are like, I would rather be by myself. There are people that are like that. But that's not what God's plan was. Our inside is supposed to match what's on the outside. And that our lives are supposed to be an offering of praise. So all of us today get the chance to make the decision. That starting today, our life is going to be a living sacrifice to God. You can decide today to make your life a living sacrifice to God. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information... Look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.